Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Robert Rose, he, it, our topic today, Abuses of Power in Education. If you'd like to join in the conversation, we invite you to call in at 347-324-3460, or you can post your question in the chat room, or email us at info at com. Welcome to the program, Dr. Rose. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be here. Thank you. I guess to begin with, our audience love personal stories about uh, our guests. So if you don't mind, tell us a, a moment. Now, tell us about yourself and how you got started. Okay. Well, I started uh, to be a psychologist, and I just uh, kind of went to education because it was just going to be a part, a job until I got my master's and my doctorate. But I found it so much so enjoyable working with the kids. I got so much satisfaction out of it. That I that I, I I stayed in education for 50 years, and wow. um, while I was in that psychology department at uh, Cal State in Los Angeles, I was introduced to a concept by uh, Dr. Roger Williams about biochemical individuality, and he claimed that every human being and every animal and everything there is actually almost a exponential difference between them maybe not outside, but the inside and how their body operates. So immediately when I had that, that was after teaching about a year or so, and I was bewildered, you know, with uh, how to teach all these kids all this different stuff. Then instead of looking at the kids as one, you know, one mass of kids that have the same ability, I saw each one as a unique individual, and so I I started to... What I, what I call individualized instruction. I was back in 1961 and 62, and I was mm-hmm. very successful doing it. And um, But the, the key was developing a relationship with the child and also empowering the child. And, uh, and you know, your, your, your thing is core business. The same thing, I believe, is true for business, that you, you treat each individual uh, member of your uh, uh, of your business as the same way as I did with the students that each one is unique and you can treat everybody the same way. Kids would say to me, "Well, Doctor Rose, you know you're treating uh, Ken differently than than you do me," and I'd say, "Well, Ken's different than you are, and he needs different things, and and I'll treat you differently for the things that you need." And once they saw that this was really true. Then they, they didn't object to the fact that maybe one kid got, uh, you know, more time on the computer, or one kid uh, would go in the back of the room and read while everybody else was doing math. It, it was it was just uh, uh, the idea that every person needs different things, and uh, I think now in business, the businesses that are most uh, uh, successful are those that really treat their employees, you know, as a unique. Each one is a unique human being. And I think the thing that teachers would say to me, well, Dr. Rose, you know, 
you're you're empowering the kids. You're giving kids all this freedom. Uh, don't they abuse it? Yes. In the beginning, almost everybody, when you give them freedom to find out and how to best do their job, your kid how best to learn, uh, they they will abuse it because they're not used to it. It's so it's so rare that anybody treats it treats you like a human being. And when mm-hmm. I started treating them that way, at first some of the kids would abuse it. Like uh, I let them go to the bathroom when they wanted, or let them get a drink when they needed to. And at first, you know, the kids would crowd at the fountain, or or they would all try to rush out the door, even though it was one person at a time. But after a while, they began to realize that by showing respect for one another, their life improved. And once they got that concept, I had hardly any discipline problems, despite the fact that I took a regular class, plus most of the at-risk kids in the school and in every school that I was at. And, and, and I could actually leave for a period of uh, sometimes an hour because I was a head teacher in most schools. And, and uh, you know, the kids would run, run the class themselves. I call that the self-sustaining classroom, and it's in my book, The Complete Teacher. It tells teachers and parents and, and, uh, and the students, too, you know, how you can get that kind of classroom where kids are empowered, they are self-aware, they're self-confident, but they are responsible for their behavior. And I think the same thing in business. You know, you have to make your employees responsible for their behavior, but you have to give them a chance to learn from their mistakes without uh, firing them. Now, of course, if they make a (laughs) mistake, you don't have any choice. I I wouldn't fire the kids, of course, but what I would do is they knew there would be some punishment. But the key thing in the punishment was they always knew there was justice. And when you see a lot of of schools where there are a lot of minority kids, the minority kids are used to not getting justice. And when you give them justice, they respond like, like like you would expect, they'd really respond to you, and so that well, that was the keys, justice. Okay, well, go, ahead. This, me, go ahead. Is this more like the Montessori type format? Um, no. That no, no, no. Uh, this is not any way content oriented. This is okay. child oriented. In fact, in, in the in the book, uh, the complete teacher, one of the chapters is children in pain. You know, you, you see kids that act up, and you think, this little blah, 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 you know, I'm going to get him. Well, when I looked at the kid, I thought, oh, this is a kid that's in pain. It's either physiological, it's psychological, or sociological. It's my job to find out which it is and to do something about it. And once I, I didn't look at a kid as being just a problem, but as a kid that has problems, it changed my mindset, and that's why I was so successful with at-risk kids. In fact, I ran an at-risk program with the most difficult kids in, in a large uh, San, uh, uh, Southern California school district, and uh, and uh, we we had just tremendous success with it because I treated each one individually, and and they they, they got justice, and they, and that showed. And so well, you can you can do this with almost any kid when you look at him as a, ch- a child in pain instead of a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. You know, as young teachers coming into the system, and I remember when I first started, and my colleagues among us, as we finish, we take this classroom discipline, classroom management class, 
in our education block and from there you know we're we're turned over to an internship we get through our internship and then in the fall you have your first class and it begins what advice do you have for that teacher because you know even you just started and you have all these thoughts and things that you're trying to apply as the new teacher into a classroom how can you separate that on day one or day two? Day one should go pretty smoothly because they're trying to find who you are. Day two, best begin the test. What advice do you give to that teacher to, hey, how can I take what I know, what I've been taught with from my internship, from my uh, uh, classroom management, and make make it individual? Well, actually, I should tell you, when I, when I started out, you know, I was I was in psychology, and, and I was just take I was just teaching, you know, and uh, so I, I didn't really get as many education courses as most teachers do. But uh, I, I told the, the principal that I'd take all the worst kids. <laughs> and, oh my gosh! And he gave them to me. <laughs> so I had a fourth and fifth combination the first uh, the first time I taught, and you know, and and, and at UCLA even they were told, you know, now children. Uh, would you like to do such and such instead of, you know, you guys are going to do this? So I started out that way for a couple of weeks, you know, and I'd say, would you guys like to do this? You know, there, there would always be some wise guys say, no, I don't want to do that, you know. And, and I just had all this uh, amazing rebellion. And finally I got so mad that I, 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 I uh, slammed, it was about three weeks into it, I slammed the door, locked the door, and, and I, I'd just been out of the service a little while, and I cussed at him. And I said, the first one of you, really asked me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna smack you. And I started in L.A. You weren't supposed to even talk bad to him, but I started smacking him back in the back of the head, you know. And I started getting disciplined. Well, when we had parent conferences, the parents, uh, one of the parents said, uh, uh, Mr. Rose, uh, uh, why do you think the kids are doing so well in your room? And I just looked at him and said, because I hit him. And he just, the parents just started laughing. He said, the whole neighborhood knows about it, Mr. Rose, and you know you could be fired. I said, I know, but I, I, I just didn't know how to really handle it. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I'll tell you something. Our, our son, uh, Phil, he just loves you because, you know, you're out there playing football with him. You're doing all the things, you know. And, uh, you know, and you give them so your your activities are so much fun. The kids just love you. But he said, uh Phil's head rang for two weeks, and of course, then I just I felt like you know a piece of crap, you know, because I had done something that terrible. So I stopped hitting him quite so hard on the body. On the, <laughs> but uh, the, the, it was funny; the whole neighborhood knew about it. They didn't. Nobody told the principal. The kids didn't tell the principal because they felt secure because I I was disciplining them. But what I realized later on, as I, you know as I managed to survive, was uh, that I didn't have to to beat them or anything like that. The reason they did so many things for me is because I did what I said, you know, about the self-sustaining classroom. I had developed a relationship with each one of them. I was out there, you know, where other teachers were in their teacher's room. I was there before school out in the playground. I was there at recess. I was there after lunch, you know. And, and after school, I, would, uh, I was going to try out for the Rams, so I was out there punting the ball, you know, practicing punting and passing, and the kids just loved it because, you know, they they, they knew what I was trying to do. 
And then, and, you know, and it was pretty awesome. You know, and they see a teacher kick a ball about 70 yards and throw a ball about 50 yards. You know, that was pretty impressive then. And so they respected me as an athlete, but mainly because I developed that relationship with them. And that's where the, that's, that's the key to the self-sustaining classroom. And I think it's the key to teaching. And I had a, a, high, a, a union representative tell me, well, you know, your, your idea doesn't work for high school people. I said, yeah, you're wrong. It works for us. She said, you cannot individualize with 150 kids. I said, yes, you can. The difference between the way you're thinking about it, you're thinking that I that each teacher has to get, you know, uh, the content across to the kids by your, by herself or himself. I said, I didn't expect to do that. I said, once once the kids had a relationship with me, they worked together. Now it's called mm-hmm. integral into education. It's a big thing. But I was doing that back in the early early sixties, and and uh, and the, the reason it was successful is because the kids helped each other. So I had all these that, like I call them assistant teachers, and I said, "You guys, you know, you think you should be in control all the time." I said, "When you give control to the kids, they work together. You're 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 not as stressed, and you can individualize and work with small groups." But you can't work with individual or small group if the kids don't like you or don't respect you, and if you, they know that you're just trying to pour content in them. They knew I wasn't trying to pour content in them. They knew that I cared about them, and I showed it by the way that I treated them and the way I talked to them. And that key word that I said earlier, justice. They knew mm-hmm. they would have justice. We actually had... Um, uh, if a kid in all my classes, we 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 develop the school rules together, not by me, but together. And then yeah, we Paul. when we did, we decided on what what consequences for each kind of infraction. There wasn't that many infractions that, but each one had consequences. So if Ken made a mistake and did something, you know, uh, first of all, you'd you'd have a chance to uh, to defend yourself. You know, that's the Constitution. You're, so you have to, you know, what you're being accused of and your accuser, and then you defend yourself. And if you were proven guilty, then you prove, then you took one of the consequences. And when you ask, when you tell a kid you can do one of these three things, when he makes that commitment to that consequence, it's public. The kids all know about it. And he feels the uh, the, the, the group pressure but also he has his own internal pressure because he knows he's been treated well. He knows he has justice. And so in most cases, kids go along with it. Now, if you've got a kid okay. that is psychotic, it's not going to work. Okay, you know, so we'll hold that breath real quick, and we'll be back in a moment. we we'll take a station break, and we'll talk okay. more about uh, even the concept of power of coaching. We'll be back in a moment. You'll listen to The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. You're listening to The Core Business Show. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. 
To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. We're back uh, with Dr. Robert Rose. We're talking about the abuses of power in education. On that same thought you just mentioned a few minutes ago, within athletics and within music, within cheerleader, there is a commonality with that particular group and which the kids take ownership in. How can a person take ownership in in a regular classroom as how will you advise a teacher to get them to take on the ship in the classroom? Well, the first thing is that they have to be they have to be participants in their life. What we do in education, just like we do in religion and in government, and everything, you know, we have the people in power, and they tell you what you're going to do. Well, it doesn't work as well now anyway with kids because they have a lot of freedom. You know, with all the technology and everything, that, that when I was growing up, we didn't have that kind of freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have a different set of, a whole different cohort of people. And, and they, they, they know something about freedom, even though their freedom is constantly being curtailed. But they resent the control even stronger than when I was a kid. And so what you do is you give them part of the control. When you give them part of the control, then they they actually, like I said, there'll be few, there'll be some that are abuse it, and a lot of them do it in the beginning, and that's why teachers don't do it, because when they first experiment with giving kids enough freedom, the the kids do abuse it. But there has to be, like I said, you have to have the relationship. You just don't come in and say, okay, well, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to give you. Uh, uh, power you know to do things well mm-hmm. people when they when they haven't had power are going to abuse it it's it's a human thing to do i mean as a teacher i kept you know pushing the limits of my power uh and in la you had a dress with a suit and a tie and sport coat all the time even when i was playing athletics i had to wear that in san Bernardino it was different so i you were allowed to be uh, a lot uh easier and so i got to the point where i went to the school one day and uh and uh, flip-flops and a T-shirt. And the principal <laughs> took me aside and he said, you know, Bob, uh, you know, uh, you, they don't know who you are. They don't know if you're the teacher or the custodian or just somebody walking through the school. You know, and I laughed, and I, and I knew that I had pushed it too much. But that's an example of when you give people power, they, they stretch the limits. But if you know that's what normal, then you can be patient with them but you have to give them uh, uh, the structure. You have to you have to help them by you know uh, some consequences. And a lot of the teachers that tried freedom, uh, that tried to follow my idea of freedom, they didn't have the strength or the relationship to uh, to to have the kids fulfill their consequences. And a lot of times their consequences were didn't fit the crime. That's another thing. You know, when I'm talking about justice. If the consequence is ridiculous, like if if a kid uh, messes up on the computer and then you take his computer privilege away for a month or the whole year, I mean, that's overkill. That's stupidity. You take it away for an hour or a day or whatever so he feels a little of the effect of it. But if you give it to it, if you just do overkill, 
then it, it just defeats the whole thing of empowering him. Because the way you empower him, he makes a mistake, there's a consequence, and then he goes again. And, and what I told kids, it's normal for you to make mistakes. I expect you're going to make mistakes. But when you make a mistake, I'm going to help you. And if, it's, if it takes punishment, then you take your punishment. If you don't take your punishment, then your power is going to be taken away from you. You know, And, and, they, and they understood that. But it isn't easy to do, and that's why teachers don't do it, because, you know, it's hard to do in the beginning. But after a while, after a couple of weeks, I have the easiest class in the school. And at the end of the wow. day, you know, I could teach another eight hours because I'm fresh. The kids have been doing the work. The kids are controlling themselves. It can be done. I've done it in every kind of consumable school with every kind of kid at every grade level. Well, we've got five questions real quick. I'm going to run through real quick. Uh, what is the effect of implied power that a coach has over a student? Well, I think, again, that the coach that has the most power, well, if, if you're a pro, a pro, he's got the power, you know, because you're being paid. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it's a high school or, a, you know, an elementary school or middle school coach, your your power really resides in the kind of relationship that you develop with your with your players. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes they they undermine what you're trying to do because they don't like you. And uh, you know, the coach has to be uh, he has to be the person who's in charge, but he has to be the model so that they follow him. Uh, you know, the the, the the most obvious is like John Wooden. I mean, there wasn't any coach any better than him, but he he didn't have to do what uh, <laughs> what some other coaches, you know, yell at. He 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 would criticize the kids, and he would teach them. His players, they all said the same thing, you know. He he had high standards, but he uh, he gave you the kind of training that allowed you to to reach these standards. But if if the coach is incompetent or if the coach is uh, mean or, or cruel. I don't see how he can get the kids to, uh, or his students or his players to follow him. Okay. And uh, what about parents? Uh, how can parents learn to have their own power with the school administration? Okay. This is a, this is a biggie because uh, I, I I think that uh, I know you as a teacher. You know, you know, you're told that uh, uh, just tell the parents what you want from them to do with the kids. Well, how does that make them feel significant? What I would tell the parent is, this child is your child. I'm only borrowing them for this year. You tell me about your child. You tell me how you think you want that child to be dealt with. And I, and I would go along with them. Because, and then the parents would, do, would allow me to do almost anything because I, I did some incredibly <laughs> interesting things in the classrooms that nobody else ever got away with. Because I told the parents I'm doing this for the benefit of your child, and they, and they saw that it worked. But uh, you know, if you don't have a relationship again with the parents, I, I got in trouble with a principal in one school, and the parents actually, and I was going to be transferred out. The parents actually picketed the school for a month to keep me in the school. Now, how often do you hear that, that happening with parents and, t- and a teacher? And that's because I had a relationship with the parents. I spend time talking to them, I listen to them, and I respected their opinion about their child. And parent after parent said, you're the first teacher that ever listened to, to me. 
And that was true. And that's sad. But that's what, you know, that's what teachers are taught. You know, tell the parent, you know, to read with the kid, do this or that. thing I told him, I said, I'm the teacher. I'll take care of the homework. I'll take care of all the problems. What you do is enjoy your kid, love your kid, and, ha- and have a, a good family relationship. And they, and, and they did. And it worked out fine. <laughs> well, and what type of things uh, are implemented by a school administrator uh, that can maybe deter the learning process? <laughs> by making the teacher feel insignificant. When you are the <laughs> it's always in there are telling the teacher, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. As a, as a training teacher, I told the teachers, I'm not going to write up anything that you do bad without me talking to you first about it because all these things are legal documents and follow you the rest of your life. So I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the chance to tell us about, uh, tell me why you did the thing, because you know you always know when something isn't working when you've done something wrong. And I used to have them uh, do it, what I called a daily journal, and they put down the things that they did and the things they did well and the things they did uh, problematic, and then I would give them, you know, uh, I would, I would talk to them or I'd write in their book, you know, things they could do to, to improve. But, again, it was the relationship I had with the teacher. I listened to the teacher. Now, I didn't see that happen with very many principals. I had three really good principals in my 50 years of teaching. And those teachers, they were great for me because they allowed, I didn't have to fight them for everything. But a lot of other principals, you know, everything I did, I had to do it originally secretly until I'd proven that it worked. And then they wouldn't get on my case. But it, it was, a, uh, and, and the, the thing about that book is uh, abuses of power, challenging practically everything. Is I, as I asked myself, if this isn't working, what will work? And when I'd say this in a teacher's, uh, you know, a meeting, you know, well, you know, this this reading program isn't working. Why don't we do something else? You know, and you get silence. <laughs> and I'd say, well, I'm trying this, and it seems to be working. You know. But uh, it's it's hard to get administrators to to respect the teacher because the administrator has this concept that he is the captain of the ship and everybody should just do what he tells them. But just like wow. kids are individual, obviously teachers are unique, and the principal's job should be to find how each teacher is unique and pull that uniqueness out of the teacher by giving him him and her the freedom to to make mistakes without making them feel like they're just a piece of nothing. And that's what they that's do. Right. I, I know and you've seen that where absolutely. the principal is just yeah. a teacher. Well, things have really changed within the last uh, 20 years. Uh, the last question I have is, what is the best way to handle an uncomfortable situation? Honestly. <laughs> if you wow. made a mistake, admit it right off the bat. Uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes teachers make. Uh, you know, they hide it or, or they they try to deny it. When I when I messed up, I tell the kid or I tell the class or I tell the parent or I tell the principal. Well, I really blew it today with this. You know, this way, this also documentation because sometimes you know you didn't do anything really wrong, but the kid said so or the kid misinterpreted it. And it goes home, then it goes right to the superintendent. Almost all the 
all my years in teaching uh, that the, the parents came to me first. They didn't go to the superintendent. And then I would be able to clarify the situation because they know the mm-hmm. kids lied sometimes and they also know kids misinterpret it. And, and, mm-hmm. and I would send home uh, a weekly thing about what we were actually doing in class. So, but the documentation is critical. And, uh, and also I'd have the kids, if there was a situation, write down what they saw. So when I went into a conference, you know, and, there, and the parent and the kid was sitting there, I could, I could defend myself. And it wasn't just my opinion. There was all these other opinions of kids. And, and I, I hardly ever lost, if you want, uh, situation. Most of the time the parents would apologize. They well, we're sorry. Our, okay. You know, our, our child does lie at times, and we know that. And we're sorry we caused you any inconvenience. But that was a real rarity in my career. Because, like I said, I was honest, I admitted I made a mistake, and I documented everything. Perfect. Well, we want to thank you for joining the program. We've got about 20 seconds. Anything you can say in 20 seconds you want to leave us with? I want to, yeah, go out and buy Abuses of Power in Education, Challenging Practice. And if you want to be a good teacher, get the complete teacher. It'll change your life. I guarantee it. And it's available on Amazon? Amazon. They can get they can get it from me in PDF for five dollars by going to my website uh, www.imaginativecurriculum.com. And Perfect. I want to thank well, you for the opportunity today. Thank you so much. Take care, Doctor. You too. Bye bye. Okay, bye. Again, it's been thank another you episode. For listening to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For more information about equipment financing and asset-based loans, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. Or call us at 866-611-7457. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to the core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. And thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.